the spirit of living God fall fresh now on this pastor and on these your children who have gathered here to worship and celebrate you for all you do in your world for your people in Christ's name we pray amen most of you know that I grew up in East St. Louis during the turbulent 60s, the 60s. It was a time where every and anything went. We were testing medicinal marijuana before they even knew it was medicinal. It was a free-flowing time. People were trying to find out who they were in God, the freedom that God gives all of us. It also was a time in my life that was dominated by the civil rights movement, led by a young preacher that just graduated from Boston University with a PhD named Martin King Jr. Changed his name. He was born Michael King. But his daddy was Martin King, and as he got older, he legally changed his name to Martin Luther King, and for the name of his daddy's sake. But growing up in that city in the 60s, the community that we lived in was all black. The Civil Rights Movement, though, came along and changed all of that. It allowed us to move out of those segregated neighborhoods and move into whatever neighborhood you could afford. Dr. King was concerned about that. In his last book, he wrote, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community. Would we be able to have community in the once segregated black communities where those who were affluent, the, top, the talented 10, were able to move out and leave those who were not? Would those talented 10 be accepted in other communities? Those who were financially able to move did so. And what was left were families like mine who could not afford to leave that neighborhood if we wanted to. Then somebody, probably a politician, sorry politician, got the idea that they would build in a two-square-block area, government housing. And they would take and put a 100 poor families in that two-square-block area, a 100 poor families, three or 400 people crowded on each other in a two-square-block area. When I... When my community was segregated and all black people had to live in the same neighborhood, we could see educated people. We could see affluent people. We could see white and blue collar people living side by side with those that didn't have as much as they did. And what that did for me is I could see what middle class looked like. I could dream of having that someday. I could dream of living in a home like the Taylor's four-bedroom home across the street from my two-bedroom shotgun house. But when everyone in my circle 
was as poor as I was or even poor, it became difficult to dream of a different way of living. It became a place where in the words of James Weldon Johnson, hope that was unborn already died. A lot of voices echoed through that government housing complex. Voices of, you're never going to make it out of here alive. Other voices said, the man, whoever the man was, has designed this thing so we will be in this housing complex until we die. They're never going to give you the upwardly mobile means to get out of this neighborhood. It wasn't hard for me to believe since most men in my neighborhood died before they were 30 or they were in prison. To this day, I probably can't even find 10 people in my high school graduation class. Man, it was 1,235 people graduated in my class. Another voice saying, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud for those who know James Brown. Another voice said to the Olympians, raise a fist in silent protest. Another voice from some black liberation organizations, Black Panthers, to name just one, said, we must take up arms and take our freedom by violence and force. But another voice became the marching voice of the civil rights movement, said, love your enemies because the sun that God has created shines on the just and the unjust. Dr. King took that scripture and it became the basis of his non-violent love your neighbor movement known as the civil rights movement. During this period in my life, the enemy was those who didn't live in my neighborhood or didn't have the same skin color as mine. I didn't know any white people. Everybody I knew was black. So I assume most people didn't like me because I didn't like them. What I didn't know, that in order to live the words of that scripture, love your enemy, I had to learn to forge two relationships. One, I had to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, we learn what sacrificial love really is. We learn the love of God who laid down his life to give us life and life more abundantly. Our relationship with Jesus demands that we love those whom Jesus loves because God loves them first. Second, I had to form relationships with those who didn't grow up in my neighborhood, who didn't look like me. I couldn't assume that they felt some way about me and I'd never ever had conversation with them. So a little more than 22 years ago, Reverend Shane Bishop and Reverend Troy Benetton 
Shane was in Fairview Heights. Troy was in what's now Highland Hope Church. I was in East St. Louis or Washington Park. We decided to take a bold step of faith. We brought together men from Highland, men from Fairview Heights, and men from East St. Louis in a two-day event. It was designed so men had a safe place to honestly have conversation with one another. It was undergird by barbecue and fantastic breakfasts. For many of the men in my Washington Park congregation, it was the first time that they had ever had a conversation with a Christian brother who didn't have the same skin color as theirs. Two days produced men that wanted to continue this relationship. They wanted a deeper, more meaningful relationship. It turned into a yearly Dr. King march. Those same communities would join with us in East St. Louis and we would march to City Hall singing, We Shall Overcome. And when we got to City Hall, we would all hold hands and one of the pastors would lead a prayer for the leadership of East St. Louis and the citizens in East St. Louis. Then we'd come back to the church and have a worship service that was designed to where we had multiracial people preaching, singing, and taking a part in the service. I'm happy that my good friend Shane Bishop continues, continues that to this day. The challenge, my brothers and sisters, of our Christian journey is to love others the way God loves us. There have been few people in my lifetime that have mastered this level of love. I'm still working on it myself. Desmond Tutu, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa were among the few. They didn't write the playbook on love, but somehow they allowed God to make them, allow them to master the book. They discovered love is the greatest gift that we can bestow on those who love us, but also on those who don't love us, especially those who hate us without any reason whatsoever. The playbook, the author of this playbook was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On Calvary, Christ expressed the greatest love of all when he declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His sacrificial expression of love on Calvary was not to humiliate humiliate us or put us in a situation of saying, you don't love like this, so you are bad. But it was to win us over. Christ knew that the aftermath of violence cannot be bitterness. So he turned his aftermath into reconciliation. His forgiveness was the door to our redemption that we continue to walk through to this day. Those who followed in his footsteps have done the same thing. For if you study Gandhi, 
if you study Mother Teresa, you will discover that they both used love and won over India. Desmond Tutu used love and won over South Africa. Martin King Jr. used love and won over the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. Love is Christ's command to love all people, period. No other method can be deployed with the same result. This is our king's command, not Dr. King, King Jesus. Dr. King was commissioned and convicted by that scripture that says, love your enemies. And without any weaponry, love is able to overcome that which brutalizes and segregates people. We simply call it love. We just have one word for love. But you scholars know it's more complex than that. The Greeks used several words for love, three that we know of. You remember when Jesus had this conversation with Peter? Peter, do you love me? Peter said, man, from the time I laid eyes on that goat, that curly hair of yours, and you allowed me to tie your sandals up, you had me hooked. This is the same kind of love that won the lethal over. Mm -hmm. She couldn't resist it, I tell you. I tell you, this smile and these suits and those Sunday morning words wore her down. But that kind of love will not able you to stay in relationship. She soon find out that I have horrible bathroom etiquettes. And now you have to seek another kind of more permanent love. Peter, do you love me? Man, you know I got a brother named James. He's so hard-headed, I don't know what to do. But when I first saw you and we first talked, you instantly became a brother of mine. Even though we don't come from the same stock of family, you are my brother. From the time I laid life, my eyes on you. Peter was saying, I love you like a brother. That's where we get our word for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's the kind of love that you give to your, what we call them, homeboys. It's the kind of love that you give to your co-workers and friends. But that love, too, is based on reciprocity. It's, I call it mutual respect. You see, you love your friends as long as they show up when you need them. You love your coworkers as long as they're not talking about you in the break room. You love your neighbors as long as they're not blowing leaves on your freshly manicured lawn. You love the people across the street until they have a party and block your driveway. Have music blaring from the backyard all day and half the night and didn't even invite you to the party. That is not the kind of love that will allow you to hate those 
to love those who hate you. Philia and Ariel's love will never be able to produce that level of relationship, that level of power to subdue a hostile world. The kind of love that Jesus was fishing for, for Peter, was the kind of love that breeds understanding, the kind of love that breeds curiosity rather than judgment. The kind of love that seeks to redeem the good in all humankind. It's the love of God working in, our, in the minds of people, working in our hearts, converting us one heart at a time to the great movement that God has for God's world. Dr. King said, when you come to love on this level, you begin to love people not because they are likable, not because they do things that attract us, but simply because God loves them. This love, the Greeks call agape love, gives us the power to love a person who commits an evil deed. We don't love the deed, but we look past the deed and love the person who committed the deed. It is an in spite of love. It is a kind of love that says, you, you, you're just never going to get it right, but I'm forced to love you anyway. I got pay love. It's the kind of love you have for your children, even though you know that they're incorrigible. <laughs> it's the kind of love that you have for people who show up at the hospital. <laughs> Not just one day. Because, you know, when you get sick, most people come and visit you and comb your hair and pray for you for about three days. Stay sick two weeks. You'll then know who your real true friends are. Agape love is the love we have for our country, even if it treats us like second-class citizens. Non-believers call that, that kind of love, they call it the, the, the power at love that, that in the universe that bends us toward loving people. If that's true, their power source needs a boost. Too often, my brothers and sisters, the power source of love in the world looks like it's on life support. What the world needs is a fresh dose, a fresh booth, a fresh perspective of what love is. And I came to say this morning that the Middle East could use some agape love. Russia could use some agape love. Mexico could use some agape love. The Congress of these United States could use some agape love. Israel could use a fresh dose of the God kind of love. And if I'm honest, I and most Christians could use a fresh dose of this love. Dr. King's prayer was that men and women all over the world would struggle against evil systems and use love and understanding in their hearts to win over that which was different than we are. But he knew that could only be achieved through God's love, agape love, that covers our rough, rough spots. It makes the rough places plain. 
It hollows out our bitter hearts and fills them with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He knew, Dr. King did, that it's not normal to love your enemies. It's not normal to find peace in the midst of turmoil. It's not normal to look for the good in someone who is so obviously evil. Some would just call that being maladjusted. And Dr. King used that term. He called on all of us to be maladjusted. As maladjusted as the prophet Amos who in the midst of injustice cried out, let justice run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. As maladjusted as Abraham Lincoln, who had the dream and vision to know that you cannot have a strong country with half of the country free and half of the country enslaved. As maladjusted, as Jesus of Nazareth, who dreamed of the fatherhood of God and the brother and sisterhood of all people that God has created. It was Jesus who sought to unite the Gentile and the Jews. It was Jesus who bent down and picked up a man who was so obviously had been taught, the Jews had been taught to hate. And the Samaritan was taught to fear. King Jesus said, We are all in need to be a bit maladjusted. We're going to change our world, our civilization. The world is a bleak place, a desolate place for far too many. All of the turmoil points to the same problem, our inhumanity to other humans. And we just learned that on the morning news not to mention the evening news. We need to pick up the king's command where he left it off. Not Dr. King, but King Jesus. Jesus who said, stop living like you're in a world isolated and these are not all your relatives under the fatherhood of God Almighty. The world, my brothers and sisters, will wear us down without a relationship with King Jesus, whose Holy Spirit fuels us day after day. It will wear us down without a relationship with our sisters and brothers who are on this journey with us. That was Jesus' dream for the church. God knew that it's so difficult to live in this world. After all, it killed him. He knew that we would need brothers and sisters to remind us when the world gets its toughest, don't give up. I made it. If I made it, God will hold you up. God will sustain you. God will not let this kill you. If you don't give up, a change will come your way. You see, our simple plan for life, our dreams will quickly turn into nightmares. But if we follow the king's command, many are the afflictions 
of the righteousness. But the Lord delivers us all out of them. You see, with our plan, our aspirations can turn into ashes. But if we follow the king's command, we will have beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the morning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. With our plan, our happiness can turn quickly into sorrow. But if we follow King Jesus' command, our sorrow shall be turned into joy with our plan. Our freedom can be turned into bondage. But Jesus said, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free in G. Just ask Peter, who was locked up in a Roman jail cell, saying, but I'm not captive by the Roman government, but I'm held captive by the love of Jesus. Because he knew we have a charge to keep, a God to glorify, sisters and brothers to pick up and help them limp along toward eternity and eternal life. Sisters and brothers, that we need to grab arm in arm and say, God loves us too much for us to be living estranged from each other. The kind of love that keeps us praying to God for strength day after day and sometimes all day. Love, the most redeeming force in the universe. Let us pray. God, we thank you for not what you have done, but for what you're doing right now. Somebody that's watching us on this live stream is going through something, but your spirit is there to remind them that they are not alone. We thank you because sitting in this room, maybe somebody who are not talking to their own brother, or sister, or mother, or father, and your spirit is reminding them you don't have the right to isolate yourself from whom I love. Send now that great awesome power of your spirit on all of us gathered here that we may be one step closer, one step closer to the love that Jesus displays for us. Amen. If you're comfortably able, can you please sing and let us sing together. Love, divine, love.